And we are back with yet another chapter of Sundered Bond by Django Wexler Book Club. I'm happy to report that after uh, going to several different places, including a Trader Joe's on the other side of town, I have now come back with all the rosé. Congratulations. So we are all set for this this chapter. All of your rosé is belong to us. <laughs> all of my rosé is here to stay. The rosé stays, and you sachet. <laughs> so you know what you can do while you're drinking your rosé? You can wait for your order from our sponsor, Card Kingdom. Oh, I won't have very much to drink then, because I'm sure that order's going to get here post-haste. Yep. I think this episode is coming out after the release, so you should be able to order those boxes and start looking forward to those drafts. Uh, I know they've also posted a helpful video on setting up a rig for playing paper magic with your friends at a distance. So, you know, if you're hankering for some paper action instead of digital action, that might be a thing to look into as well. And all those I shiny forgot. collector boosters full of oh Godzilla God. series cards. Yes, I forgot what the smell of new cards smelled. Uh, and Ho- the sound hopefully the better crinkle. than the mystery booster smell, because there was something off about those. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I think something died in like the collating factory. I have no idea. I, I thought it just kind of smelled like money to me. <laughs> so it smells like something dead. Okay. <laughs> you know what smells great, though? Our patrons. Our patrons always smell wonderful, no matter how many times they don't bathe. Or how many times you do bathe. Bathing is good. Clarifying yes. our Bathing. stance on this. I, I don't fair, normally though, speak for the group, but I'm speaking for the group here. <laughs> <laughs> what Michelle Grace, is I'm saying is that, nice. is that you, our patrons don't have to bathe. And if they don't, we would greet them with smiling faces. We would still love you. And then we go on a shopping trip to Lush. It would be great. We get so many bath bombs. It would be a wonderful time. Because you've given us a wonderful time. Thank you so much again, patrons. Thank you. Bob, where can people go to if they'd like to help support us on Patreon? Yeah, if you go to patreon.com slash lordwhips, you can join our cult. I mean, group of patrons. And yeah, come jump in our path. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Okay. Are, are we Roman now? Like, do we just have giant public baths? I mean, I'm down. I'm just confused. <laughs> come be know. part of our bubbling beebles. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say I, I am kind of a king of beebles right now, and uh, you know I'd love to go to Japan. So yeah, I mean, I mean that that was pretty awesome, I have to say. Yeah, we get plus one plus one for every patron in the jacuzzi with us. Absolutely, and you know what? We still love you if you don't like jacuzzis. We should just go talk about the kid chapter now, don't you think? Well, I guess it just kind of bubbled up. Chapter it six did. of the Sundering Bond by Django right. Wexler. Uh, it's actually just Sundered Bond. <laughs> yeah, you really sundered that title. <laughs> Chapter I'm sorry. six of the Sunny Bondsman <laughs> by Wango Dexler. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter six of the Bonnie Sunsman. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the, the Sunny Bond would just be a book centered on Bryn and Roll, which I'd totally read too. I would love that, yeah. Excuse Part me, I need to go write a children's book of, now. Of. The the Bales Bondsman summons. <laughs> okay, we should really get to the chapter now. Okay. <clears throat> Dorina woke up feeling like she had been tossed around like a cat toy. Her whole body hurt. Her head pounded. Her legs were bruised. It was painful to breathe, but this time it was more likely a broken rib than the smell of the hunters. Her outfit was drenched in cat drool. Did I fall off the vermilion during the fight? Jorina dismissed the thought as unlikely because she was thinking and therefore had not died of sudden deceleration. It was twilight. 
She must have been out for several hours. Jarena painfully propped herself and turned to discover the adorable, albeit massive kitty just 10 feet away. It was kneeling at a creek for a drink. A delightful blip that would make anyone squee, Oh, what a cute kitten! She watched in horrified fascination. The beast's enormous tongue, its colossal bat wings, its body the size of a horse and cart. It had knocked me off the vermilion, right? I, I know I saw Kitty's glorious coat just before the ship went down. Oh, crap. The vermilion was going to crash because of some massive snake-cat nightmare. Did Kitty save me? But how could she have gotten safely from the ruined ship to here? And here was nowhere near the Ocelith, as far as she could tell. That must have been a really long flight. The cat beast looked up from the creek towards her, blinked slowly, then looked back at the stream. It was clear that this was a gesture for her to come over to the creek and drink. Her throat was dry. Her lips were cracked. After several moments of indecision, Jarena relented against her better judgment and joined the adorable kitty by the creek. She drank as she gazed into the cat's beautiful yellow eyes. Did Luca send you? Jarena said to the monster, who again motioned for her to drink more water. Oh, uh, no, no, thank you. If I drink more now, I'll have to stop at every rest station from here to Drowneth. The cat responded by bending down, ears flat, and putting one enormous paw out, as if it were inviting Jarena up on its back. Meow? You want me to... Meow? That can't be right. Meow, meow? Jarena hesitated, and the cat beast gave her a stern look. Meow! Oh, okay, okay, fine. Uh, Luca must have sent you to keep me safe. The cat began to purr happily. Weighing the chance of finding another human before finding a much less polite monster against the likeliness that this cat would decide to eat her now made her decision easy. Jarena climbed up onto the cat beast's back and took hold of its soft fur. What a sweet baby. Who's a pretty kitty? Yes, you are. The beast leapt into the air and hurled itself skyward, flapping its massive wings to gain more height. Wind blasted her face, and she felt the exhilaration of being on a roller coaster for the first time. Once they reached cruising altitude, and after refreshments were served, Jarena fell fast asleep. Morning broke, and Jarena woke to a voice telepathically speaking to her. This is your captain speaking. On behalf of Murder Beast Airlines, we'd like to welcome you to the human stronghold of Draneth, and ask, rhetorically, why you would ever want to come here. Jarena saw the sheepfolds and forests inside the fourth ring, with tiny carved-out logging trails leading to the third ring. As we begin our final descent, and you reflect on the choices you've made that would compel you to return to such a vile place, we ask you to hold tight. Jarena saw the third ring wall go by and began to panic. If they were to fly any closer, the coppercoats would see them, and they'd both be skewered. Here at Murder Beast Airlines, we don't particularly enjoy the taste of human flesh, but hey, whatever floats your boat. To each their own. We don't judge. Looks like the humans of Draneth have decided to welcome us with a parade of crossbow fire. Big surprise there. Hang on tight as the captain, that's me, initiates evasive maneuvers. A ballista fired with a distant crack, and the cat beast veered sideways, avoiding the missile. This is your captain speaking. The humans of Draneth are showing their hospitality with dozens of tiny, sharp projectiles being hurled in our direction. But don't panic. Our hides are tougher than General Kudra's mustache. We'll be landing shortly. The cat beast was going for a landing on the wall. Hold your fire! Hold your fire! Jarena winced, the pain in her chest almost unbearable. Don't kill it! I'm Captain Jarena, daughter of General Good. 
She collapsed and passed out. Squawk, pretty boy. Jarina opened her eyes. She was in the Citadel Infirmary. Squawk, kill the monsters. Her surroundings were blurry at first, but within a minute, shadows and blobs took shape, revealing her father, General Kudro, and his parrot, also General Kudro. Squawk, she's a traitor. Squawk. I am pleased you have returned, the general said. There was some concern over the success of your mission. Thank you, sir. But I wasn't successful. Luca is still at large. Hubba hubba. Perhaps you should give your report from the beginning. Jurina obeyed, giving her account of Luca, Vivian Reed, Skysail, and the demise of the Vermilion. She recounted the Battle of Oz, Alith, and how the hunters were destroyed, and the winged cat that brought her back to Draneth. Is that the same monster Captain Luca communicated with? Yes, sir. Are you certain? Yes, sir. Do you know why the monster assisted you? Run your ring. Run your ring. I can only speculate, sir. Then speculate. At the Oslith, Luca saw me aboard the Vermilion as it was sinking. I believe he sent the winged cat to rescue me. Whatever has happened, I think he still loves me. Traitor! Traitor! His command over the creatures... Strong enough to do this? I can't think of any other explanation. Tron is broken. That in itself is troubling. Floodbeat screw. Rumors are spreading, Captain. My own daughter came back to Draneth on the back of a monster. <laughs> Traitor. Squawk. A dozen common soldiers saw it, so we could hardly hope to keep this quiet now. Jump for the token. No counters. No counters. <laughs> it has produced quite a bit of unrest. I'm sorry, sir. It's not your fault, Captain. You take the flyer. <laughs> Rest now. I'll take care of everything. A few days later, Jarina was finally able to hobble out of bed, clean herself, and put on a fresh set of clothes. What did I miss? Jarina asked the courier outside her door. Well, there's been several preparations that the general would like you to attend this afternoon in the main hall. The courier replied. I'll be there. Thank you. Jarina closed the door took one last look at her uniform, then went to the mess hall to grab a bite to eat. Later that day, she finally arrived at the main hall, which was abuzz with activity and a crowd of humans. She saw her father and Colonel Bird at the marble dais at the head of the room. And as she made her way over, she saw the gorgeous winged cat that saved her life chained to the floor next to them. Oh, no. She thought to herself. Oh, no, no, no. General Kudra regarded his daughter, mustache twitching. Ah, Captain... Thank you for coming. He held a massive great sword in his hand. Next to him, the colonel sneered. What are you doing? Jarina hissed. The cat looked balefully up at her, sadness in his eyes. This is the only link we have to Luca. A link under a traitor's control. That puts us at risk. The general said. Jarina, you know that you were second in line to lead Draneth after Luca. You know what we do with monsters here. We cannot afford to keep anything here that would jeopardize this community. And our standing. General Kudrow held out the great sword to her. She took it, the feeling of its hilt and pommel foreign to her. This is a test. Jarina realized, thinking to herself. A test I cannot pass. Jarina looked at the cat, then said to her own surprise. I cannot do it. It has done nothing to harm me or us. It saved my life. I, I cannot do it. A hiss of shock rose from the onlookers. <gasps> Colonel Bird. Take my daughter back to her quarters. She is still not feeling well. The general took the sword from Jarina's hands. Father, you don't have to do this. Jarina cried as she was led away. Someone does. It's them or us. And the general swung the sword down. 
Miles away, Luca awoke with a gasp. His mind swam with images. He'd sent his cat to protect Jarena to save her. But once again, he could see through the cat's eyes, dodging arrows as it flew to Dranith, then allowing itself to be chained to a cold stone floor. Above him, the familiar face of General Kudro was wreathed in terrible satisfaction as the sword was brought down. Jarena's panicked voice echoed around him. Then stillness. Darkness. Luca lay there weeping. Then he felt his lone power trickle out of him in speeding arcs of orange light as monster after monster succumbed to his will, turning and walking towards him. He could feel his army grow, the new motes of light springing up in his network of creatures as more and more of them appeared, tall shadows in the night. Standing up, he only had one thought in mind. Jarena is in Dranith, and we're going home. Well, that was incredibly depressing. And incredibly powerful, I think. Powerfully depressing. That's that's absolutely yeah. true. Um, yeah. Fluffy. Um, oh no. Rest in peace, Fluffy. I, uh, I know we just named the cat last episode, too. And then the th- next episode, the cat is executed. I mean, we'll talk about it in the discussion, but... Oh, well, anyway, we should probably cut to our sponsor segment. Commercial. Commercial. Mm. We'll see you in a minute. I know, sweetie, I know, but Mommy has to go to her nephew's bar mitzvah this weekend on Akoya Staten Island, and they just can't fit a 60-foot auto dinosaur nightmare cat in the dance hall. Okay, okay, so I've left enough kibble in your basin for two days. There's enough water in the trough, and I've left your fluffy toys out. Ugh, who am I kidding? I'm being a terrible bonder by leaving you behind, but I can't take you with me for a couple of days. Oh, what am I to do? Fear not, my monster loving bro. I have a solution for you. What the hell? How did you get in here? What? What's your name even? And Baxter's in a monster, you self-absorbed dweeb. <laughs> Don't worry about it. My name's Luca. I just use one of my nightmare pangolins to unlock your front door and carry me just straight inside. See, it's a perk of being connected to the monsters all around Akoria. They're not monsters. I can easily keep any of them under my control. I mean care, entertained, well, you know, well fed, and completely happy. I wrote an app for that called the Ozolith. You see, look at this big fella. Your pangolin has been sitting in the corner since he came in, tapping its head against the wall. I know, right? It's hilarious. He's going to be the drummer in my all-monster band. I'm thinking of calling it, I don't know, Monster Magnet. We're going to make a fortune at our debut at Burning Man. You know what? This is ridiculous. Uh, Baxter, honey, I think Michael's going to be fine if his aunt isn't there at his bar mitzvah. I'll just send a check. And you! Oh, oh, you're talking to me? You're an awful person, a terrible bonder, and a horrible pet guardian. Leave your pangolin and get out of my apartment. Hey, you can't kick me out. Get out. You, do you know who I am? Get Ow! Out. <laughs> Stop hitting me with your purse. What get are you out. keeping there, Briggs? Just Baxter's Ow. meds. Ow. Okay, okay, fine. Jeez, lady, I'm leaving, all right? I know when I'm not wanted. I wrote an app for that, too. And stay out. Ah, oh, tech bros. Ah, oh, come here, sweetie. Just because you're a nightmare pangolin doesn't mean anyone should treat you bad or summon you on an app. Oh, come on here, Baxter. Big family hug. Big family oh. hug. I, I think this means I just need to start my own pet care business. Huh, friends? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Do you need help writing an app? Get out of here! Need to board your beloved pet for a couple of days? Drop off your sweet, giant, mutating beast at Monica's best beast board and care in Ikoria, Queens. And watch out for that Luca guy. He's a real monster. Wow, okay. I should definitely send Mr. Fluzzy and Lady Snuffles to Monica, not to Luca. I, I'm definitely going to not make that mistake that I do not want my cats to join his monster army. That just seems like a bad idea. Yeah, I, I would trust Monica with my fur babies, too. Yeah, I mean, but Lady Snuffles, like a- Lady Snuffles already plays a musical instrument. She plays the nose flute. <laughs> That's true, but she should be able to join her own band, not under the compulsion of a crazy, scary person. I don't know. It just, I want what's best for my cats. I hear you. I liked our version of the scene a lot better. Um, yeah, I definitely have some thoughts about this chapter. Uh, first and foremost, I really wish Jarena was a bonder. Um. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's really sad, right? Because Luca has been given this opportunity to uh, like, be with something in his life that is so precious and wonderful and rare, and he just throws it away. <laughs> And it's really striking is that it's super unclear whether or not he's actually grieving for his cat, right? Like, the cat's death definitely hurts him. Like, Fluffy's death hurts him. But there's not really a point in this chapter where Luke is sitting there like, oh, if only I had been a better bonder towards my cat, or like, if only I had given my cat a name, like, any of that. There was nothing. shows the selfishness of Luca more than anything. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Luca has moved beyond to the point where all these creatures are just monsters, or to everything has become a possession. Jarena is a possession of Luca in the form yeah. of that is his lover, that's what he cares about. So what he does is he throws away this bond with the cat to take Jarena back to Draneth, where he damn well knows it will be executed. And he didn't even really have a thought at all about, like, where's my cat or anything. As soon as he took the whole army, he wasn't thinking about this cat one bit until he got the memory link. Yeah. And that is, uh, like, I don't know. Animal cruelty is one of the things that really triggers me. So, like, this whole scene and this whole chapter is so, like, infuriating because... I don't know. I always feel like it's such an honor to have my cats. I don't know if that's a weird thing to think, but I just think it's an amazing privilege to have like creatures in my life who trust me and love being around me. And that's not something I should take for granted. <laughs> They're furry little murder machines that have chosen to live with us. Yes. So here, here's my thing, because like this, this is a culmination of Luca's refusal to take responsibility for his own emotions right i i think he is he is so absorbed in the in experiencing the emotion that he doesn't take any time to let himself actually like consider what that emotion might mean or feel and so he's just so concerned with returning to a particular emotional state contentment acceptance uh that the things that are getting sacrificed along the way he isn't taking the time to reflect on that i i wanted luca to learn and grow and reflect uh and that is not happening which i think in a way is it's it's interesting to have a main character who does not do those things because I think we're used to 
these kinds of stories and magic usually having like a nice bow where someone either is totally defeated or, you know, I haven't finished the novel yet, so I don't know exactly what the outcome is. But this this indicates to me that he is not learning his object lesson, um, which sucks, like, from an emotional point of view, because Fluffy is dead. And I don't like that. Jarena's going to get hurt because Luca's being an absolute dillweed. My favorite Sc- uh, Scottish Twitter insult is wet turkey sandwich, and I think that applies here. And I think that it it's correct that he's viewing everything as a possession now, but I think that is also very correct to that sort of militaristic, cult-like, toxic masculinity mindset. You don't have people in your life, you don't have companions, you have possessions. And I think that's echoed in Kudrow's behavior as well. Yeah. Yeah. Dranis is a system of oppression. Like, I know that I joke all the time about smashing the patriarchy, but like the patriarchy, and actually very much like the patriarchy Dranis is, it's it's a cult, essentially, right? It, there, there's this very strict adherence to order and to in, like exclusiveness, a, exclusionary mindset that he doesn't no, and in some way he's taken this whole army situation and like twisted it to fit his mind. I guess uh, one of the things I kind of wanted to discuss a little bit was now that we know that Luca is absolutely the villain of this piece, like, do we feel like we saw this coming or do we, or it was anyone kind of blindsided But by before this? we move um, on to that, though, I yeah. would like to talk about... Dranith having this cult-like state. This is also the point where we see Jarena firmly step out of that line, and she's like, we can take, you know, our feelings into account here. We don't have to do exactly what the, the state is telling us to do. Yeah. And she's immediately dismissed for that. I mean, her father essentially has her taken away at military command and stuffed back into isolation because she's stepping out but this is this is the point where she you know starts questioning that cult authority and have things been being done right um, I would argue that she's been questioning the uh, cult authority for okay. a little bit now. I, I would um, say, she, okay, she'd been questioning it. This is when she takes action on that. That's fair. That, that's the way. That's the way to put it. What's interesting is that this cat, Fluffy's presence in Luca's life, did nothing for Luca. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas this cat's presence, like in Jarena's life, arguably she's had much less contact with this cat, but she's moved and she's touched she's willing to open herself up to i guess a healthier side of red in the sense that she's feeling a sense of empathy and at least an emotional connection with this creature something that luca was never willing to let himself have i I agree with you 100 percent. but i also wonder if it's she's feeling sentimental towards the cat or she's still feeling sentimental towards what it may do to Luca. And it's actually because she knows that this cat is bonded with Luca. She doesn't actually know the effect that would happen if the cat was killed to the man that she loves. I I think that she doesn't yet know, right? That Luca's done this Faustian bargain with the Ozolith. So maybe she still thinks that there's, uh, maybe in some way that cat is also a connection with Luca, right? And I think she's not incorrect when she points this out as like being strategically important. But I think it's also like 
it's her way of holding on to him and mm-hmm. the relationship they may have had. This is the first time, though, where she actually just tells her father no. Is even before, you know, it's like, you're going to go hunt down your boyfriend. You're going to bring him back. You're going to take these hunters to kill his cat. And she's just like, yes, sir, whatever you want, sir. I, I wouldn't necessarily. She did, but she did that without his knowledge. So she was undermining his authority, but she still was playing into the, I'm doing what you want me to do. Yeah, there's not like an open rebellion yeah. here, or oh, there's not like a soft no. This is a firm, outspoken no, as opposed to, I'll play around with the letter of the law as opposed to the spirit of the law. And it wasn't just in front of her father. It was in front of everyone. Yep. Where she was taking a strong stand that, no, this is not the right thing to do. And it's kind of amazing, right? Because she has been through a lot. I mean, she's also had her world upended. Um, She's had her perspective changed. And I think that in you know, these hard circumstances, I think there's like that saying of like, you don't know who a real, a man really is until you put their feet up to a volcano or it's like from Joe and the volcano. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I think they've been through a lot of hardship. And I think this kind of goes to show that at, at her core, Jarena is a person who cares deeply about her community enough to be willing to adapt. Mm-hmm. Like she sees the reality of the situation, not necessarily the ideal. And I think this is just like tying it back to real life is this is when you see the real character of a person is when you're faced with hardship. How do you react to that? I agree. And I think I'd like to reiterate, like I said, last episodes, I, I think we see a case here where, Jarena is constantly forward looking, like the things that have happened impact how she is moving forward. Whereas Luca always have this has this retrospective look like regardless of how much mourning for his loss of connection to Fluffy is general, like genuine or not, it's still retrospective. Luca is constantly reacting to things where Jarena is trying to anticipate and set things up for the future. And I think that is a uh, an important distinction because Luca's whole plan is I'm going to return to Draneth so I can return to what I know. There's this there's this fixation on return to a more stable point instead of okay I have this now how am I going to create stability from that? Again, uh, as I said before, he's desperate to return to that privileged position and he's willing to do whatever it takes in order to make that happen even if it takes a giant army and a weird speaking crystal thing. Do you think that killing the cat was too much? Could they um, could could like, General Kudrow have just like let the cat go and then pointed a ballista at it and then shot it out of the sky and that at way that way at least there would be some sort of question as to whether or not it survived the the shot blast or do you think that like the definitively killing the cat do you think that was too much i thought it was too much I from a I, storytelling perspective or yeah from like okay um i didn't think it added anything to i the story. i think it did because it really reinforced the you know what general kudra had been saying since like the first you know first or second chapter is that we need to make sure people know what the status quo is and you know, this public execution was essentially like, 
I don't care if there's rumors that this thing saved my daughter's life. It's a monster. It must die. Yeah, it's like when you have any kind of public execution, you know, when you think about like Marie Antoinette um, or Louis the uh, 14th, 15th, 16th. I forget where her. Marie really Antoinette's big, husband, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, they both were had public executions. Yeah, and it was because the people in charge wanted to make a point. They wanted to show the people of France at the time and the world this is what happens when you are in blatant violation of what the new status quo should be. You know, arguably, whether or not they should have been. They, they were good people. I mean, that was beside the point. The main, re- like, they could have just assassinated Marie Antoinette. Yeah, I think this have. is, the, you know, more than that, because that was kind of, like, on the flip side of change. This is, you know, to me, more rings true of, like, um, witch hangings or burning at the stake, which was all about maintaining the yeah, status quo. Yeah, but I mean, later on, like subsequent yeah. beheadings were also like that. Like they, yeah. Yeah. like they beheaded a ton of people. But so the idea that it's a public execution, mm-hmm. that is all performance. Like mm-hmm, that yeah. is only something that you do if you want to make a point to your society. Yeah. And, and the general was very clear that you know there's rumors that this cat brought you back to the walls and everything, and we need to quell that. That that is not acceptable. I'm of two minds. My gut agrees with Justin. I I feel like the execution of Fluffy in the in the way it was handled. It's not my favorite storytelling device necessarily, but at the same time, I feel like when you have a novella this length, it is harder to have sort of these ambiguous hanging threads and still have them be. Because ambiguity can be satisfying, but I don't know if in this case that sort of ambiguity would be satisfying in such a shorter term kind of storytelling. So I definitely understand that decision. I don't know. I I would have preferred the cat to have lived and maybe seen how that impacts like Luca in the future. And maybe if the cat might be able to form a bond with Doreen, I think that might have been also a compelling story direction to go. But I think that... Michelle and Taya also have a good point in which it is like displaying Kudrow's absoluteness and the length at which she is willing to go. And I, I, I think what this does is this sets up a really good parallel between Luca and Kudrow because at the start of the novella, they are sort of posed to be like in conflict right as as opposites or foils of each other like you're loose cannon luca (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) but i think i think i think in the end i think this serves to show just like luca was totally willing to sacrifice the other bonders companion to take down the hunters kudra was willing to sacrifice this creature who ostensibly saved his daughter and returned her to him is willing to sacrifice that to his emotional stability, which is keeping the status quo in Draneth. I think it serves as the point at which we are supposed to see Luca and Kudro pivot from foils to parallels. This helps set the stage for not only Jarena's change, which is, I think, really good, this, this whole push out, but it, it really shows some realism in the government that the general is building, right? In any realistic state, the general is not going to let this cat live. We, we know that this cat's going to die one way or another. And what he's trying to do is reestablish his control and his um, 
something gets taken away when you, there's a rumor about you. His um his cr- credit, right? His credibility. His, his street cred, as as we call it in the hood. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing hood like about this. He's a um authoritarian military figure. And, and it's not just his cred though; is he's trying to initially use it to reestablish Jarena's cred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, Grace, you touched upon this really well, is Jarena was not next in line. The general in this chapter talks about, I'm not going to be around forever. And initially, Luca was his first choice to take over the running of Dranith and to become the next general after him. And Jarena was his second choice. I, I don't believe this, this, this whole thing. I think this whole thing is made up. I think the general makes this up on the spot. Yeah. Maybe. For because, but he hates Either Luca. way. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to manipulate Jarena. Yeah. It's possible, but I think it's very interesting. Even if he's lying to her, what does that say? I mean, I feel like that is also really good. Like, parallel creation between the two characters right because like i could possibly see that work given how at the character's core luca pretty much is like general kudro like yeah willing to do anything sacrifice all and he was extremely effective at killing monsters i actually don't think the general was making this up but the general has such a thing about monsters equal bad that as soon as you know luca had this bonding experience it didn't matter if he was considering him for his next, you know, in line is like, nope, 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 you're, you're done. I, you know, there was no effort to redeem Luca or anything when this first came out. The general immediately went to, nope, we can't have this. It's too threatening. I don't think the general ever intended Luca to like, regardless of whether it was a lie made up on the spot, even if it wasn't, I don't think he ever intended to have Luca alone be his inheritor i think he saw luca as something that could be controlled by Jarena, which is why he allowed the engagement right like luca is a useful tool he's good at hunting monsters and he's good at helping other people hunt monsters and people like him ergo he's you know useful in that matter but i i'm with bob i i think he was sort of bullshitting on the spot i think he was looking for a way to manipulate what was happening currently so he was just sort of like feeding what he thought would make the situation better for him. And I mean, as we've discussed before, Kudro almost sees himself as like the embodiment of Dranith in a way. So of course, if it's good for him, it's good for the community, right? Yeah. Yeah. I am the Senate. (laughs) I guess I wanted to just rewind back to a point that I brought up earlier and a question I brought up earlier about whether or not we saw this coming with Luca. As I said before, like we've established Luca is absolutely the villain now in this piece. Maybe not the villain, but he's certainly a villain. Yeah, I think you're you're toting the line a, a line there by calling him a villain. He's definitely not doing great things. He's not a hero. I am not convinced that he is a villain yet. So, hmm. I I put him in villain category because I don't like the way he treats animals. I mean, yeah. First, even going back, I mean, he was pretty much just like kill them all at the Ozolith. You know, it was... I, I think that... I think what it is is we, we've we seen the torch of the protagonist. I, I think Justin brings up an interesting... Brought up an interesting point earlier looking at, like, the actual function of the storytelling, right? Like, is the cat's death the best way to do that? And I think if we kind of take a step back, I think one of the other functions that Fluffy Dying has is it really firmly moves the protagonist status from Luca to Jarena, like the primary protagonist. Like we as the audience are now rooting for Jarena 
And I think Luca has sort of moved into this ambiguous state because we still don't know at this point whether Luca is going to end up aiding our protagonist, Jarena, now, or whether he's going to end up being an antagonist to her and um, in the way. You know, I think, like, when you're talking about the term hero and villain, that can get muddied up with the idea of protagonist and antagonist. You can be an antagonist of a story and still be a hero. So. Well, what would a Luca redemption arc look like? Um, Starts crying over Fluffy. (laughs) More, More crying and, like, regret that he never named his own cat. Uh, I think for me it would be pretty much just, you know, offering himself up as a meal to another cat monster because he's a white boy. He don't need no redemption arc. I'm interested about um, your point of view on this, Bob, because I think that you've had a a good point about sort of like Luca's emotional status and that sort of thing so far because I redemption arcs are tricky things and I have some thoughts on them but I don't want to talk over everyone so I I will I will hold my peace on that for a moment um before I launch into what I think redemption actually means I hate redemption arcs (laughs) so I'll I'll throw that out there but the the thing that that I'm just I'm not sure about Luca so you guys I know some people have read the whole novella at this point I, I have not like I've only read through chapter six and like Luca is narrow minded, small picture, still doing what he thinks is right. I would compare this a lot to the way that we, we see the Gatewatch go into a new plan and be like, no, you're going to do it my way because we're the Gatewatch and we know what's right. Yeah. Right. Luca is still on that line. Now, has Luca done bad things? A hundred percent. Should he give Phil remorse for for Fluffy? A hundred percent. But I, I don't know that we're. T- I'm to the point where I would actually even label him as an antagonist. I would say that that I agree that I am now rooting for Jarena. Jarena is the first person who I have like real emotional at- attachment to, which I feel like this story has been missing a little bit. Yeah. Until we saw the Bonders, like I didn't care about the fates of any of these characters except for maybe Vivian Reed. So I like how Vivian Reed is written in this uh, novella a lot. I wish we got more of her. And I think overall, like if if you're talking about redemption arcs, I think first you have to decide what redemption means because I think one of the reasons I tend to hate redemption arcs is so frequently it is I was a bad guy and I did terrible things right up until right before my death and I did a singular good thing and people are going to call that redemption. Mm -hmm. Like there is a social concept of redemption where basically there are several components to it and one of the things about your own self-work is it shouldn't rely on whether the hurt party forgives you or not right like that should be a separate thing part of your work should be a making sure that improvement you're doing isn't going to harm the people you have harmed before it shouldn't rely on their forgiveness like it should be separate you should absolutely still you know apologize and seek to make amends and reparations but whether the hurt party receives those reparations or forgives you is totally up to them. Those should be two separate things. And I think that's a nuance that a lot of the redemption arcs don't have. And I don't know if Luca, as he is by the end of chapter seven, 
would even look at that or what what's going on it's i th- i think we would have to see what the conclusion of a story at the end of this novella would look like before i could give a firm answer on that and like i'm i'm in bob's place i am reading chapter by chapter you know as we cover them so i i am not at a place where i could even speculate what that might look like at this time i don't know we know i think the other interesting thing is right we know he gets a um uh, a planeswalker the, card. Yeah, planeswalker card. Thank you. I can words today. We know he gets a planeswalker card, and we still haven't seen him spark. Like I thought, his bonding incident was going to be his inciting moment for his planeswalker spark, and it wasn't. So, like, and we're running out of chapters for that spark to happen. So, what's going to happen? I think that's really sort of like yeah. because I'm with Bob. I don't see him as an antagonist at this point. I see him as existing in this in-between space where he either won't be either primarily a protagonist or an antagonist, or we he just hasn't, like, things haven't fallen out where he's going to be on one side or another. You know, that's kind of the problem with a lot of the, you know, treating transgressions by privileged white men essentially as they're acting as children is one of the problems that we see a lot in society in general. Tay, I thought you were going to say that's the that's the biggest problem we have with the magic community right now. <laughs> oh god. I, I think that that is also true, Justin. Like, I, I think that you are not wrong with that comment. Uh, and Tay, yeah. I, I agree. I don't believe that what Luca has done is forgivable. But does that put him into the channel of a of a villain? I would argue yes. Yeah. Like, obviously, I come from a position of having read the book, but even at this point, knowing what he's done, I guess for me, I, I personally put a lot of stake into the actions and also the end result of what people do. Not necessarily saying that intentions aren't important, but all I can see as I watch, as I read about Luca going through these chapters and progressing and not really doing good things like he treats people like objects he treats people life does not mean what it should to him and i think this is sort of like the big conflict between him and vivian right Mm -hmm. vivian has seen her entire world destroyed she above almost any other planeswalker i can think of really understands and appreciates the value of life Mm -hmm. and freedom and it is so weirdly ironic that who will eventually become a modern red planeswalker chooses to take away that kind of freedom and just treats, I guess, living creatures like they mean nothing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, for me, that puts him, quite frankly, into the villain category, regardless of whether or not he means to yeah. and whether or not he's aware of it. He He may be, like, acting like a man-child, but... We have a lot of real-life villains out there who are man-children doing terrible things. And I would totally say that they were terrible people and villains. So going back to answer your initial question on whether we saw this coming, up until the Ozolith, basically up until Chapter 5, I did not see it coming. There was, you know, as going through, back through, and rereading some of the chapters through the summaries, it's like, yeah, there's definitely some foreshadowing of what's going to happen. But I didn't see this completely stark thing where he went from you know i'm going to he was always selfish but the the really the battle of the ozolith when he is just like kill everybody but jarena and i'm going to take your 
monsters away from you whether you want them or not to the bonders you know that that sealed it for me right there it's just i think he moved from self-centered to selfish right like you can be self-centered and still be empathetic and considerate of other people and i think luca had moved into the selfish like he's he is actively taking from other people things are changing very rapidly with luca but i think this is an interesting display of how human selfishness how luca's need to satisfy his own emotional desires how quickly destructive that can become i i think the thing that's unique about luca versus other like incidents of this mono red sort of like destructive tendency in human characters like jaya or chandra is luca is in control of his faculties and his power Aside from the initial bonding incident, we've never seen a point in which Luca is not the one who has the position of power. You know, the cat listens to him. The other monsters listen to him. When he goes into the Ozolith, he is given the choice on whether he's going to take the power. He's manipulated, but he's given a choice on whether he wants to take that. And Luca has made a series of choices that got him there. Whereas if you contrast that with Chandra, frequently her problems run from her inability to control and not knowing what that sense of control looks like, not being able to rein in her compulsions in a situation in which she is not not in a position of power. Yeah. Like if you think about her ignition story on uh, Kaladesh, right? Like she definitely was the uh, underdog. So I think I think that's what makes Luca like this story interesting, and I think it is an interesting way that. You have a viewpoint character who is centered on these things. And I, I think it's like it, it is frustrating to watch someone make these series of bad decisions. And I think that's why Jarena's role is so important, because it gives us a point of view character who is not only like like sympathetic for us, but we can more easily feel empathy for. Because at this point, like it's really easy to be like, you're killing me, Smalls. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and I think... Along those same lines, I think that we went into the story thinking that, oh, Luca's going to be a hero. Luca's going to be this great guy. Luca's going to bring the Bonders, you know, and Dranith together and dethrone the, the general. And I mean, that's the package that's It's sold. not happening. His planeswalker <laughs> pose is super like heroic. <laughs> but I want to go back because this whole discussion has made me think of something. I think, it, again, it's a really good sign of Django Wexler's amazing writing and kind of bring back... We look back at the very end of chapter one, where he is considering starting a fight with these young recruits and old veterans to escape the city. He isn't thinking about whether it's wrong to injure or kill them. He's thinking about what it would do to his reputation or his appearance if he did that. Yeah, oh, it's totally self-preservation. Like, yeah. Grace, you know, hit that one on the head when she goes, he's self-centered. And I think that is what Draneth teaches, because we see this in a lot of these Draneth characters. Yeah. E even in Jarena, like, I think that this is heavily prevalent. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that makes Jarena, like, sympathetic to us as viewers, because she is starting to, like, once she says no to her father, that runs directly opposed to that sense of self-preservation. So I think that's what makes that action compelling to us as readers. Yeah, and I mean, it goes to her flavor text. It, it is. It's still it's self-preservation, but we're going to do this with emotion as well. Yeah, yeah. with compassion. Yeah. And that is, that is, I think, at the heart of what Jarena is about, right? Because she 
she chooses to allow herself to feel a connection to the people on the Vermilion. She chooses to work with them, even though she doesn't like them. She chooses to make the best of bad situations with an eye on the bigger picture. What I, I love, though, about this particular chapter and chapter five, too, was that I totally also did not expect, like, I was like, oh, gosh, it's another one of those, like, white male protagonists who are heroes and uh, uh, like uh, uh, Jarena's just eye candy and then like like Greg said like you just see him making worse and worse decisions and you're like what are you doing and then you realize this whole point that you know Jarena is now set up to be the protagonist and that's pretty cool yeah to, to revisit something Bob said earlier too I think the you see this a lot in characters and I think one of the characters we see it in early on whose attitude I think like really foreshadows how this plays out is Colonel Bird's attitude and just like when he doesn't let her in to talk to her father until like the person comes and goes and that because his his interest is in keeping the general happy with him so he can then further continue his own development etc etc he's not concerned about Jarena's feelings or Luca's safety or like even necessarily the safety of Draneth like you know it's about what is best for him as an individual within the structure um I am interested if Justin has any particular thought because I we've all been kind of talking quite a bit and I don't want to accidentally push someone out of the conversation so I'm I'm curious if you have any strong thoughts about anything Justin I, I appreciate that Grace I did not see the change for Luca it came completely out of the dark for me, which I think is great storytelling to change a character's course like that. I don't know if I said redemption arc in a way that was best asking what I, what I had meant to ask. I was thinking like, what can Luca do if he wanted a chance to like make up for his previous mistakes? I was thinking of giving the power back to the Ozolith and having Vivian redestroy it. Um, welcoming the bonders inside of Draneth and having the arcane core look more into how people become bonded to animals to mm-hmm. legitimize that. And then my last thought was General Kudro didn't pay the full cost to activate his activated ability. Yeah, that was kind of shenanigans, honestly. Hacks. Yeah, we, we need a flavor judge on that right right away. We have to rewind the story state. <laughs> you, you didn't see you the child Colonel being Bird. Lost known in information. Back. You Colonel Bird. You person in the front row. <laughs> Throw him at the cat, and then we can. <laughs> those those were my thoughts. Awesome. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up this particular chapter. It seems like things are really coming to a head as as Luca mobilizes his million monster group to go and attack Draneth, which is kind of weird. Like in my head, I still don't, I can't wrap my head around like, so how do you think this is going to work for you? But um, that's what we're going to see, I suppose. Is he looking to attack Draneth now? I thought he was looking to say, hey, General Kudro, look at all of these monsters that I have under my control. Oh, yeah, the latter. He's not really looking to attack. But, but how okay. you have to think about you have to think about how it's going to look as he walks up with a bajillion monsters, you know? 
Yeah, the, he hasn't considered the optics yeah. of this situation. I, I think that's actually a succinct way to put it is Luca stopped thinking a long time ago and all he's doing is feeling. He has a feeling about a situation. He feels he's going to do a thing and that's what he's going to do. There's no thought put into it. He needs Vivian Reed or or maybe Narset. Maybe Narset's a better one for this to come through. Randhouse kick him right across his chops. Say, Luca, think about what you're doing and go repent for a hundred years. Yeah. Just it's just like when Bob pauses before moving into combat when he's getting ready to attack me when I have five cards in my hand and all the open mana, he's like I feel like I shouldn't attack you, but I want to. And I do it anyway, because like- <laughs> that's the kind of magic player I am. Yeah. <laughs> aggro, aggro, aggro. Yeah. Who do you think you are? Some kind of superstar. Which is funny, because the, the, the way that Luca's playing this is mono-red aggro, but as a character, he's more mono-red prison. Oh my gosh, that's so true. That's so true. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. All right, listeners, you, you've you heard the call. Please create a Luca-themed mono-red prison deck. <laughs> Send us a deck list at Lorquaifs on Twitter. We would love to see it. We might even play it. Who knows? And you can get your cards for that mono-red prison deck from Card Kingdom using our affiliate like Lorquaifs in your order. Yes. And is there, you can is also... there a card named Sad Man Child? It's yeah, Jace. It's Luca. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Jace, Jace has at least had some character growth. It's, it's just, taken just... 12 years, but... I'll graduate him to Sad Man. I, I think if you look this up on Scryfall, you'd get number one. you get Gideon Jorah, Jace Bellerin. Basically, like, almost every male character except maybe, like, Teferi uh, and Ajani. Yeah, yeah. even Ajani yeah, had his angry right. kitty face, too. Yeah. But he kind of deserved Ajani... it. Yeah, I mean, he... yeah. I mean, I guess brother. Gideon ultimately deserved it something, but it was his own humor. So yeah. Anyway, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you again to our wonderful patrons on Patreon uh, for putting up with this nonsense and for supporting us. Thank you. Let let me know on Patreon your thoughts on, on the optics of who the saddest planeswalker dude is let me know uh, also let us know what accompanying early 2000s emo punk band would be a really good fit with that planeswalker i, I could totally see us doing a future episode on like which which planeswalker is the biggest man baby <laughs> sad man babies of magic <laughs> brought to you by the lorgoyves well, they do say, you know, planeswalkers are supposed to represent the players, so. Yeah. Oh, wow. The, 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 the funniest thing is that the biggest man baby is actually probably just Nicol Bolas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. And he's neither a man nor a baby, but he certainly acts like one. <laughs> okay, Nicol Bolas and hot take Ugin, because there's nothing more man baby than putting your problems in a box and refusing to deal with them. I, I'm anyway, still, I still believe that me. Ugin and Nicol Bolas are actually one, and it's just the whole fight club scenario. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh! <laughs> but we already talked about that one. We okay, Nicol Bolas is Tyler Durden. I love this. Let's yeah, put a pin in it. To the We're gonna episode. get back to this um, next week. Yeah, let's let's just start a list of that's another podcast, Good Eat style, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Toxic masculinity, <laughs> sad man child edition. <laughs> All right, I've been one of your hosts, Michelle. I'm Justin. I'm Bob. I'm Taya. I'm Grace. And we will see you next time. Bye.
Oh, bravo. That was Taya, great. I love you. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was really good. <laughs> oh, that was so good. Uh, also, props to Bob, like, to being able to, like, totally just straight man through that whole thing. <laughs> I wonder if, if uh, what's his name? The demon... The demon Obnixilus. I wonder if he keeps like a locket with Gideon's portrait. <laughs> oh. No, you know the X on his forehead, it just kind of opens up and it's got the picture there. <laughs> it's like, oh, remember that time I almost drowned you in that puddle. Uh. Although that does remind me, I, I have a friend who has a sliver EDH deck who titled it There's a Sliver for That. <laughs> My my friend Lillian has one called Free Hugs. Oh, but she yeah. has one of every sliver sleeved up and just randomly picks forty of them at the start of the game and shuffles them in. Oh god, like that, that, that whole thing. Ah, I mean, it was great, but also I just like I I I'm sorry. I have to go shower. I... Sweetheart, just eat this cannoli. You'll be fine. Just just take a deep breath. Just pretend you're from the marina. Um, <laughs> you got it. An indestructible booty. Oh, okay. You sound so much like my grandmother-in-law. My fellow monster lover. What that the hell? That sounds so dirty. <laughs> I'm sorry. Del Toro has entered the chat. Um. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I love him, though. If only you had a chance to ride me like you rode Ragnos. <laughs> Whoa.